Good morning. Well, 12, it just, well, not quite. You've got about four more minutes, so I'm still truthful on that one. Hey, I'm so glad that you're here this morning. You know, there are some benefits to getting older. You know that? There are some benefits. Uh, and everything, I always said that in life, there's, there's blessings and bummers. Uh, the benefit, the blessing of getting older is that when you have a bad experience at a restaurant, you can tell yourself, this is not going to be the last meal that I'm ever going to eat. All right? So you go, you know, come on, you're going you're gonna to end up going out to dinner again sometime soon. But there are some challenges. Uh, one of the challenges when you hit, if you're a guy in particular, but uh, one of the challenges is that uh, your hair grows every place that it's not supposed to. All right? <laughs> ah, amen, Bruce and I, we're brothers back there. The balding brothers. <laughs> yeah, so I go to the, I go to the barber. Actually, the, the salon. Now we don't go to barbers, right? And I go to the salon and I tell the girl, I said, you know, make sure I, you get rid of the bridge in the middle, right? You know, take it off, uh, take it off the ears. Just make sure you do that, you know. But there's been a new place that hairs have been growing, and uh, I know you not believe, you can't believe I'm telling the story, but this this is really true. Um, hairs, big hairs, long hairs, are growing out my nose. <laughs> I like. So I got this wonderful wife, and she just helps me stay truthful. She helps me get down to earth. She just lets me know how it really is. And she's like, you need to do something about that, you know. So I'm like, all right. So, they, you know, they take it. Look, that's a little tricky, guys. That's just a little bit trickier. And, and so I'm driving down the road the other day. This is a true story. Driving down the road. Actually, it was this last week, probably Tuesday or Wednesday. And I'm going down the road, and I, you know, I come at the stoplight, and I kind of do one of these in the mirror in the rear view, and I see these, like, three long hairs, white hairs. And I'm like, oh, are you kidding? And so I decided, man, I'm going to take care of that right now. So windows up, and I'm just, I'm going at it, and I'm trying to pull them, and it's like, oh. And I look over, and I see these two young ladies from our church. And know what? They're like, they're like doing this, and I just like, what? So I roll my window down. I say, got me. <laughs> roll my window back up and just drive off. <laughs> right, Amber? <laughs> you know what? I ain't stopping. <laughs> ain't no stopping me now. I'm on a roll. <laughs> We're rolling. In our, sto- in our sto- How do we go from there to here? But In our story this morning, our disciples are on a roll. They are on a roll. They are moving forward in God. The empowered church are having phenomenal experiences with God. And I want you to stand with me this morning as we read a portion of our text found in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. We're going to read verses 16 through 20. Uh, I need everyone to stand if you could help me with that in the honor of reading God's word. And it is an honor to not only read God's word, but to declare God's word. This is the truth. God's word is true. And I would tell you this morning that as we go through the scriptures, I want you to open your hearts. God has a word for you today. God has a word for this city. God has a word for this generation. And so as we read through the scriptures, we're going to read verses 16 through 20 of the fifth chapter of Acts. And then we're going to go through through the rest of this chapter through verse 42 as we uh, discuss, as we talk about, there ain't no stopping this now. Acts chapter 
5, beginning with verse number 16. And the Bible says, Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits. And all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all of his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Verse number 20. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all. Everyone say all. About this new life. Everyone say new life. Here's my big idea this morning. We must never stop talking. We must never stop talking about the new life we have in Jesus. We're going to pray this morning for sister churches in the country of Nigeria. Uh, Nigeria over these last several years have been in a horrific situation with a group called the Boko Haram. Uh, We've had 14 of our churches and a couple of our orphanages that have been destroyed over the last couple of months, and we are going to pray for our brothers and sisters in the country of Nigeria. This picture actually is one of the blown-out churches, and it was decimated in the last week or two by uh, by a bomb destruction. And so we're going to pray for our brothers and sisters in Nigeria. Let's do that this morning. Father, we thank you today for grace. Thank you for this new life. Thank you, Lord, that uh, we can pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. And God, in Nigeria, those who are living out their new life and boldly proclaiming are experiencing opposition and persecution. And we stand with them today. And God, we know, Lord, that there is power. There's wonderful power in your name. And that's why this opposition is happening And, God, we pray that you'll strengthen them and sustain them. We lift them today before you. And, God, we're asking for that same grace, Lord, that flows into those people as they take a bold stand for you. I pray that it will flow into us today. For every person under the sound of my voice today, God, I pray that they'll be strengthened in their faith and faith, encouraged to believe and to receive the truth of your word. And, God, I need you this third service. I don't take it for granted, God. It's a great honor to declare and boldly proclaim the name of Jesus in my generation. Use me today, Lord, in your wonderful name, in the mighty and the wonderful name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. We, we are coming this week off of a shocking story that took place last week. And it's a shocking story. The fact is, if you really read the Bible, if you really take time to read the Bible and to try to wrap your brain around what's being said, there's some difficult things. And the story last week was one of those difficult things. There was uh, this couple named Ananias and Sapphira, and the Scriptures tells us that they lied to God. And because they're lying to God about their giving, specifically about their giving, when they were confronted with the issue, they lied to Peter, and then they dropped dead. Ananias first, three hours later, his wife Sapphira. We walked through that text. And when I, a couple of takeaways that I got from the text last week, and I want to just kind of reiterate to you today, is that every person in our life, every person in our life is a reminder, is a reminder for all of us of what not to do, particularly this couple. There are some things in my life, when you look at me, you know, you're like, I don't think I want to live that way. There's some things, you know, the fact is, is with this couple, what we learned from them, there's some things that you don't want to do. You don't want to. You don't want to trifle with the things of God. You don't want to make light the things of God. You don't want to lie to God. Uh, the other thing that I, I really kind of worked out of this context from our story last week is having a great reverence for God. The Bible says that great fear swept through all the church. When these couple, when they dropped down dead, man, people were like, whoa, wow, 
There was actually a strengthening of the body of Christ when people really realized that this thing was for real and we're going to get serious about our relationship with God. We're going to live for him. We're going to obey him. We're going to serve him in our generation. The third thing that we see happen in our text is that revival breaks out. Last week, I mean, God, we, we saw that this, I mean, because of that, because of that encounter, we read right here in verse number 16, man, people start coming to Jerusalem. They are just filling Jerusalem and people are being healed. The power of God is being released. And this is where we find ourselves this morning. In the Bible, in the Bible, there is a, a biblical principle of studying. Biblical principle of studying the scriptures. And it's called the first law mentioned. It's, it's the law of the first mention. And what we find here in the book of Acts is there's all kinds of first experiences for these new believers, these early believers, these first believers in Jesus as the Messiah. The first baptisms take place. The first communion church service takes place. The, the first miracles in Jesus' name take place. There are a lot of firsts that take place because there is something powerful about firsts. When you look at something, you look at an airplane, and you go back to when that airplane was originally created, it had a design and a purpose. It had its intent. If you really want to know what the purpose of an airplane is, you go back to its beginning. You look at the light bulb. You look at anything that we create. When you really want to know the purpose of whatever that is, you go back to when it was created and the person that created it. It's called the first mention. And then you will discover what the design is. We see this in biblical, in biblical literature. We see this in the scriptures. If you really want to know the nature of God, if you really want to know who God is, you go back to the beginning. You go to the book of Genesis. You see, in the beginning, God created. God is self-declaring. He is, he is who he is all by himself. He doesn't need you to prove that he exists. He just does exist. He never sets out to prove himself. He's God. You see the nature of man, how God created man. He created him for purpose, and he created him to bless him. He created him to be fruitful, to, be, to multiply. You see that right there in the very beginning. You see also the first sin entered into the Bible. You see the first blood covering, the first sacrifice right there in the very beginning. The first few books of the Bible are the Genesis, the beginning, the first mention principle. It's exactly what's happening here in the book of Acts. We are laying out, we are seeing this story of these early believers and what we're seeing is what I call patterns. There are biblical patterns that are taking place. There are things that we can learn from these guys in the church today, although we're 2,000 years removed. There's things that have happened. There's historical things. There's the way that we do church much differently than these guys because these guys were Jews, and they would go to the temple daily. They would go to their synagogue daily. They, they had a different way that they expressed their faith. But there are things that we can learn from these guys. There's a, a biblical pattern here. You know, the, the, this, the people, the, the people of this story, the people that we just read about, these disciples, they were Jews. They were. And they weren't trying to start a new religion. That's not their intent. That's not their purpose. What these guys were trying to do was just to live out the message, to live out the promise that God had made to the Jewish people, to the nation of Israel, that they would be a blessing to the nations. As a matter of fact, the very first chapter of the book of Acts, we, we see that Jesus actually, the Bible says he teaches the disciples who he was, who he was from the scriptures. 
What were the scriptures? The scriptures were the Tanakh or the law, the first five books of the Bible, the the writings, the prophetic writings of the prophets and the writings of David from the Psalms and the books of wisdom and literature. And we see this taking place. We we see these guys, they were they were just trying to fulfill the purpose of God in their generation. The plan was simple. The plan was simple. Jesus had a simple message. Go and make disciples of all nations. Go, go. God had a plan, but they had to have power. They couldn't do this plan on their own. This wasn't a man concept, a man idea. This wasn't something a group of people sat around and just kind of figured out in their mind and brain. No, that's not how it was. God had a plan, but God would enable them by his spirit to empower them to do the mission for which he called them. And that's where we're at today. That's where they're at today. You know, in our culture today, in our culture today, churches can get distracted by lots of things. Churches can get distracted by philosophy. Churches can get distracted by scientific methodologies. Churches can get distracted by political ideologies and economic theories and philosophical foundations for, for psychology. I mean, there's lots of things that many times we find ourselves talking about in local churches. But the fact is today, all those, those, those studies and those disciplines are extremely important. The message The message of the church, the the message of the kingdom of God has always been and always will, always will be about Jesus. That's the theme. That's what they were talking about. And here's what I want you to hear today. This message can never be stopped. The message of new life, the message of who Jesus is, it can never be stopped. It just can't be. In verse number 16, I, I, I just, as I was looking through this and trying to process in my own heart and mind what was happening, the first thing you've got to know about the message of new life is that it's surrounded by the miraculous. It's surrounded by the miraculous. Look at verse number 16. The Bible says crowds gather from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits. Impure spirits. And all of them were healed. It's the message of new life. God wants to heal. God wants to heal people who were tormented in their minds by, be, by addictive behaviors and can't seem to stop what they're doing. A man came to my office this week, and, and uh, he's contracted a very deadly disease. He contracted the disease by doing something that, from my perspective, was very foolish, and also from his, because what he was doing, a lot of people do in our culture today. But he contracted something that's extremely, extremely, extremely deadly. And he started treatments this week, and he was standing, and we were just, I said, I just believe that God wants to heal you. I know what you did. You were younger. You were in another frame of mind. You didn't know Christ then. But that's the power of the gospel, the power of the gospel to heal people, to deliver people, to set them free. God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life, but Satan hates you, and his purpose is to destroy See, we were surrounded by the miraculous. They were surrounded by the supernatural. The second thing that I want you to see this morning is the first, in verses 17 and 18, that they were also opposed by the religious. They were opposed by the religious. Then the high priests and all the associates who were members of the party, the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. And they arrested the apostles and they put them in the public jail. Why did this happen? In Jewish In this time of Jewish history, there were two basic groups. There were the Sadducees. They had the high priest. Their responsibility was to take care of all the things that took place in the temple. Now, remember, this is Jerusalem. 
This is the holy city. Jews have been gathering together after the dysporsia. They've been coming together for generations and for centuries. And, and now in the time of Christ, there's an accumulation. There are literally thousands, hundreds of thousands of Jewish people that are living in this city that's ruled by Rome. And there are these, these ruling people. They had Herod who built this beautiful temple. And, and they would go to the temple to do their sacrifices. And that was their responsibility. There was a group of 70. They were the, called the Sanhedrin. And then there was this other group called the Pharisees. The, San, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the supernatural. They basically believed that the stories of the Old Testament were for a previous generation. They did not believe that God worked that way any longer, that, that God didn't have supernatural power or didn't show his supernatural power like that. But the Pharisees were different. The Pharisees did believe. The Pharisees believed in angels. They believed in miracles. They, they, they believed in the scriptures. They believed the things that were written by the prophets and, and by, the, by Moses, by God himself. They believed those things. And these two groups were really quite at odds with one another. And actually, as we walk through the story, you will see both of these groups in conflict at some point. The disciples, they are being persecuted. They're being prosecuted. They're, they're, they're thrown into jail. And I want you to hear this today. They weren't thrown into jail because they were trying to start a new religion. That's not what they were doing. They were not starting. They weren't looking like, the, hey, we're going to start this new brand of Christianity or this new brand of Judaism. That's not what was happening. They actually believed that they were the fulfillment of the Israel of God. They actually believed that they were fulfilling all the things that had been spoken by the prophets and by the men that had gone before them. They were the true Israel. And they were just living out their life. They were obeying the mandate. When you serve Christ, when you give your life to Jesus and you experience this new life, not everybody is going to like you. As a matter of fact, the bolder the stand you take for Jesus, many times the greater the opposition you will experience. You experience this in our culture today. Yesterday, I was getting ready to leave the house. My wife was trying to watch the cooking channel. and, and She was trying to watch the cooking channel, and our TV, the remote, was stuck on PBS. It was just stuck. So I'm supposed to know how to fix, fix the remote control, which is way above my pay grade. And so I'm over there, and I'm pushing buttons. Nothing's happening, and PBS is playing. And there was this guy on there. He's a very popular New Age teacher today. And, and, and he had been teaching on PBS all day about this other consciousness and all these New Age philosophies. And I thought, isn't that fascinating? You know, PBS will show this guy all day. They will promote his books. They will sell his books at the end of that. But can you imagine if there was a minister, a preacher of the gospel, who actually believed this new life and was telling people that God had a plan for their life, and how they could find it through Jesus, they would never show that all day. Why? Why is that? Why is it in the workplace you feel this tension as soon as you start to talk about the name of Jesus? I mean, people in your work can talk about all kinds of philosophies and ideologies and belief systems, and everybody's, you know, it's on an odd sometimes, but not a big deal. Why is that? Because there is power in the name of Jesus. We're in a real-life spiritual battle. Paul the Apostle said, we're not in a battle of flesh and blood. We're in a battle against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness who've been assigned to destroy the destiny of men's souls. So we see these guys. They're, they're experiencing opposition. Opposition from religious people. And really what was happening is the religious people were losing their influence and power. As the thousands of people started pouring into Jerusalem to hear the message of the disciples, to, to watch to watch and to experience the miracles. 
People stopped going to the synagogue. People stopped going to the temple. They stopped listening to the high priest. They stopped listening to the rabbi. Because what these guys were saying, these guys were saying were not words that they had learned in a book. These were things that they experienced and learned from God himself. They had come out of their heart. They had come out of this love relationship they had with Jesus because they had experienced new life. I love this. Not only were they surrounded, but they were also sustained by the supernatural in verse number 19, I want you to see this. But the Bible says, During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and let them out. I love that. The angel of the Lord. 78 times. Going all the way back in the very beginning. Abraham, an angel of the Lord came to Abraham. Moses, an angel of the Lord came to Abraham. Isaac, an angel of the Lord came to him. David had some kind of encounters with angels and Psalms 34, 7, he says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. The angel of the Lord. The presence of God was real to these people. And I don't know how all this works, but I do know that there's an unseen world. And I know that there are angels, and there are also demonic powers. But the angel of the Lord encompasses, surrounds those who fear him. We don't worship angels. We don't talk much about angels. But I want you to know, we got someone on our side. There's something out there. There's, there's this otherness. There's this supernatural realm that we don't necessarily believe in. But there are many people, groups of the world that really believe this. That really believe this. I know the presence of God is real. I know that I've never encountered angels before like that. I personally have never had a conversation or have, they've never come and given me instruction before. But I have encountered God's miraculous, miraculous, supernatural deliverance. I've seen it. It's kind of a funny thing that happened about 10, 11 years ago. There was a group of us that had went to Mexico. We were working on this church building. And I had connected with this local Mexican pastor in the city that we were at. And we were trying to talk to one another. And his English was better than my Spanish because my Spanish is, you know, se habla español un poquito. You know, that's about it. And uh, I can get that far in the thing. I can order off a menu a little bit. But, but so we were talking, and, and uh, we realized that it, the communication wasn't going real well. And, but there was one thing we could do. We could sing together. So we were going down this dirty, dusty, bumpy desert highway, uh, a mountain road. And as we were driving down the road, he plugs in this revival CD. And the songs were familiar. They were in Spanish and English. And so when the Spanish version of that song came on, I would kind of mumble my way through it, my, you know. But then the English version, gusto, singing it out, you know. And he was singing and I was singing. And we were just worshiping Jesus. And the presence of God filled, filled. I mean, it was, it was intense. And he's driving and he's praying and shandying and speaking and whatever language he's doing it. And I'm over there and I'm like, I got one eye on God and one eye on him. And I'm like, we're going to get in an accident. He's just all over the road. All of a sudden I hear the sound. I'm like, What's that? And I hear the sound coming behind us and I see lights flashing. And, and I look behind and there are a whole line of federales lined up behind us. And there are two motorcycle cops that are right on our side. And the motorcycle cop on my side, his handlebar, he actually knocked off the, the, rear, the side mirror on the van that we were in. And, and the guy, he's, he put, finally stops right in the middle of the road. This pastor stops, and 
His eyes are big, and I'm thinking, oh, no, I'm going to a Mexican jail. They're never going to see me again. You know, my life, I could just, you know, your worst thought, right? You're like, oh, boy, I'm going to jail forever. Gringo in a Mexican jail, not a good thing, you know. Headline in the newspaper. <laughs> and, you know, uh, it was one of those God moments. That's all I could tell you. It was a moment that I knew that God was really, really real. Because when he stopped the van and he was looking at me and he had that fright in his eyes, he rolled down the window. When he rolled down the window, all I can tell you, there was something divine, something supernatural. It literally, the presence of God just flowed out of that van, out that window, and it hit that cop right in the face. And when it hit him in the face, his eyes just got really big. I mean, it was really as he was rolling down the window, the presence of God rolled out that window, hit this guy in the face, and his eyes got big. Next thing I know, he's like, vamos, 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 get on out of here. I'm like, thank you, Jesus, I'm saved again. You know, the presence of God is real. God does deliver. God does deliver. You see, the, the work of the Lord was taking place. God's favor rested upon them. They were being bold about their witness. You see, because this new life is all about Jesus. I want you to look at verses 29 and 32 with me. 29 through 32. This new life is all about Jesus. In verse number 29, Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. This message that we have, this message of new life, this message of new life is all about Jesus and making him know in our and making him known in our generation. They tried to stop him. They tried to tell him you can't talk about this new life. You can't teach in Jesus' name. They said, We must obey God rather than man. What a conviction. What a conviction. I love people of conviction. I love people that are willing to stand for something. When you stand for something in a public arena, you're going to have people love you or hate you. I mean, there are people that I completely disagree with, but I realize that there's something in them. They're very bold about what they believe. They're very, very bold. And people that are bold about what they believe change things in their generation. There was a lady by the name of Rosa Park. It was against the law for a black woman, an African-American woman, to sit in the front of the bus. But she would rather obey God than the laws of man, and she chose to sit in the front of the bus. Set off a firestorm, a revolution in our nation to this very day that people are still grappling with. I love people who are willing to take a stand. There was a, This weekend they're celebrating the, the march on, across the, the bridge there in Selma, and there was a man that spoke by the name of John Lewis. John Lewis is a congressman from Georgia today. He was leading the pack with a group of other ministers back in, in that day with Martin Luther King. And as he was going to cross the bridge, there were a group of police officers that unleashed their dogs and beat him. And you know, you, you know the story. But as he was standing, I thought, there's a man who has conviction. He would rather obey God than the laws of man. You can go all throughout history and people have said, you know what, we are going to obey God. We are going to do the right thing no matter what our country says. And that's why the gospel is so powerful. Because it doesn't matter if I live in South America, North America. It doesn't matter if I live in Africa. It doesn't matter if I live in China. It doesn't matter where I live on this planet. I have a higher authority. And my authority is God himself. 
And Peter said, listen, guys, we respect you. You, We understand you're the the high priest uh, of the temple. You're the the high priest of the Sanhedrin, of the ruling body of the Jewish people. But there's a higher authority. We have been commissioned by that higher authority to go and to proclaim his name to all nations, to make the name of Jesus famous in our generation. And we're not going to stop. We're not going to stop. Paul, the apostle, who would be impacted by these men just several months or years later, would write to the church at Rome. Paul, this man who was a Pharisee, he was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the high, of the highest Jewish religious philosophy and belief system. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It is the power of God unto salvation that brings salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first, and then for the Gentile. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we stand in the public arena that we live in today and say, I'm not ashamed to be a Christian. The moment you do that, you're drawing a line in the sand. And there will be people that aren't crazy about that. When I came to faith in Christ, I, I still remember the job that I was working. And there were some people, you know, they were, well, oh, great, you know, your life's changed. And you're living a new life and your language changed. And you don't do all the things that we used to do. Cool, all right, that's good for you. But there were some people that really hated it. One particular guy that I worked with loved to just push me. Loved to say things just to see if he could test me, to see if he could tempt me to, to maybe react or to say something that I shouldn't say. And one day I walked in and. And he was just mocking me. He was mocking Christianity. He was mocking Jesus. He was saying vile things about Jesus. Vile, wicked, evil things about people. Just like I would never, I mean, in my wildest dreams, I don't even know where it came from. He was just testing me, pushing me to see if I'd respond. Remember, I just walked away, made a choice. The fact is, not everybody's going to like it. But these guys, they were not afraid of man. There was a boldness. There was a confidence that was in them. Because this message has always been and always will be about Jesus. This new life. And then verse 31, I want you to see this. God exalted him, Peter says, to his own right hand and as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and to forgive their sins. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of God. You know what this new life is about? This new life is about forgiveness. 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 God forgiving us of our sins. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible teaches us that the wages of sin are death. Not sometime, but every time. God. God has exalted Jesus. The book of Philippians tells us that his name is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The right hand of God simply means the place of authority, the position of authority. When we pray to the Father, we pray through Jesus. We pray through Jesus. The, the mystery, the tri- triunity of the Godhead is beyond my hum- human comprehension, but I know that it's true. I know that His Spirit lives and dwells in me, and He bears witness with my spirit that I'm a son and a child of God, that I've been forgiven, that my old life has been buried in the deepest sea. I have a new life today, and for every person that believes in Christ, you have a new life. 
You're a new person. You're a new creation. Old things are passed away. You're not a victim just to the circumstances of this life. You're not just kind of rolling along through life wondering what's going to happen next. No, no, no. The Bible declares today that you're not a victim, but you're a victor in Him. You are a conqueror in Him. You are more than a conqueror, Paul tells us as he speaks to the church at Corinth. God loves you today. God has a new life for you. God has a new life for me. This message has not changed for 2,000 years. It's not changed. It's about Jesus. It's not about a preacher. It's not about a church building. It's not about any of those things. It's always been and always will be about Jesus. We come to the last part of our story this morning. There are different responses to this message. The Jewish leaders were indignant. They were quite angry. In your life, there are people who will be angry. We see it in the news feeds. We, you know, all the ways that people communicate through Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and Reddit and Tumblr and all the different ways that our, our world communicates today. There are a lot of people that are very angry. A lot of people that are very angry, and they're very angry at Christians a lot of times. People will say horrific things. They'll make accusations. Most of the time, they're slanderous. But I've even seen people that used to be part of this church fellowship that have left and now say very mean things and very hurtful things. You know what I know about life is that when generally people try to tear you down or tear another person down, it's because they're trying to make themselves feel better about themselves. So there's something inside of them. They're hurting, and and so they've got to bring you down, criticize you. There are people that oppose the message of Jesus. There are people that oppose these disciples. And there were people that were indifferent to it, which is fascinating. The fascinating thing is because God used a person who seemed to be indifferent to the message of Jesus. Didn't know if it was true or not, but God used this man. I want you to look at the story found in verse number 34, the continuation of the story. There was a Pharisee by the, by the, by the name of Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people. And he stood up in the Sanhedrin, and he ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Now listen, here, listen to this, guys. This guy's a Pharisee. He's not part of the Sanhedrin. There, it'd be like, it'd be like a, a, a Catholic and a Protestant. I mean, it'd literally, that, although they still have the same kind of basic belief system, they're completely opposite in their philosophical belief about how this thing works out. So he stands up in front of the Sanhedrin, and he ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with these men. Some time ago, Thaddeus appeared, claiming to be something, to be somebody. And about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all of his followers were dispersed, and nothing came to, and it came to nothing. Verse 37. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. And he too was killed, and all of his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Wow. Here's a guy who was thoughtful in his approach. You know, people come into this building, people come into your life, be thoughtful of them. Give consideration for where they come, came from. In our second service was a young girl that my, my family's been friends with for a short period of time, and, and she comes from a Judaistic background. She's actually a Jew. And 
I was in the service and I was preaching this message and everything I said was filtered through that filter. This was her very first time in a Christian church in her whole life. She'd never been, other than she came Wednesday night, she came to the worship experience and then she went to young adults, but her very first Sunday morning experience. And I just thought about it. How would I feel if this was my first time? I mean, I was processing as I was talking about it. And the fact is, is that we are reasonable people. When you discuss your faith, Peter says that we are to give an answer for, we are to give a reasonable answer for the hope that lies within us. I want you to see, these men were not vitriolic. These men were not angry. These men were even respectful to the high priest. They were respectful to the Sanhedrin. They weren't out there being bombastic and waving banners and you're going to burn in hell. That's not what they were doing. That's not, they were living the new life. They were boldly proclaiming Jesus. That was their message. This man, Galileo, this man Gamaliel, who was a Pharisee, he was, if you study history, you will see he was one of the most profound intellectual thinkers of Judaism and in their history, even to this very day. Here's a man who was reasonable in his approach. He was also a man who believed in the sovereignty of God. He's a man who he looked at this situation. You know what? If this thing isn't of God, it's just going to go away. If this thing is, but if this thing really is of God, you're not going to be fighting against man. You're going to be fighting against God. He let him go. He was so persuasive. He was so persuasive. You know, when you get into an argument with a person about your faith, all you do is you cause them to become more rooted in what they believe. You never win an argument. But you can win a friend. You can win a friend. Gamaliel set before these people. and His argument was so persuasive that they let him go. They said, don't go teach this doctrine. But immediately, the Bible says, they went out and they began to tell people about Jesus. And here's the result, folks. Chapter 6, verse number 1. And the Bible says, and in those days, the number of disciples kept increasing. That's the message. That's the message. We keep talking about Jesus. Because you know what? You know what, guys? In this room, all of us, we stand before God. I want you to hear this today. God's favor rests upon those who take a bold stand for him. God's favor is on you today. When you make a stand for Christ, you're going to live your life for Jesus. You're going to have the favor of God on you. The approval, the approval of God is far more important than the approval, approval of man. And ultimately, you're not responsible. And I'm not responsible how other people respond. I'm not responsible. I, I know in my own family, I, some of you have heard this story. This is story number one, number in 79, in the Eugene Smith Chronicle of Stories here at City Church, but I had my family, my mother's family, and the reason I'm sensitive to this area is that my mother's family was Jewish, and they still are Jewish. I had an aunt. She was my favorite aunt, and my mom said her name was Annette. And my aunt Annette was not a follower of God or Jesus. And as she had gotten older, she just got angry about life. My dad was at lunch with my aunt one time, and and he was trying to talk about Jesus. And in the middle of this conversation, she became so infuriated and so angry. She became so infuriated and so angry, she placed her hands over her ears and she said, Hi, cursing. I never want to hear that name again. There are people that respond. My dad wasn't responsible for how she responded. She's died. Whatever her destiny is, I'm not her God. But she made that decision. And you're not responsible. The only thing we're responsible for today is the message. It's to let people know. And here's what's at stake, folks. 
people in the city that need Jesus. <laughs> people that are in this city, that they're being tormented and tortured by impure spirits. They're lost in their brokenness and their pain. We call them addictions. They're just suffering. Jesus has come to heal them all. What's at stake in this city, in this community, are people that go to our children, that go to our public schools, uh, whose parents don't know the Lord. And, and what's at stake is them having an opportunity to hear about this new life that's found in Jesus. What's at stake is family members that you love and care about. What's at stake is them. If you're not willing to live the life and to be bold and to stand strong for your faith, what's at stake is them ever hearing about the new life and the forgiveness that's found in Christ. That's what's at stake. Not only in this city, but around the world. This message is moving forward. This message is moving forward because there are people just like Peter. There are people just like these early guys that knew what it was all about. And there's so many distractions in our churches today. We must make the main thing the main thing. The main thing is the message. The message is that Jesus Christ is Lord. The message is all about Jesus. That he provides forgiveness of sin through his death on the cross and the resurrection. We're going to make the main thing the main thing because we're going to bring God's love to the city one person at a time. God's called us as the empowered church to reach our city. God wants to use you you to close your eyes this morning. You're here this morning. You're far from God. You've heard the message of new life, but you know today your life's not right with Him. You know today, I mean, these men, they had new life because they experienced the forgiveness of Jesus. You're in this room. You've never experienced that forgiveness my first invitation is to you. It's always to those who are outside of faith. You stand in the valley today of decision between life and death. God's saying, choose life. Jesus is here this morning. The presence of Jesus is here. His forgiveness is here. His healing is here. His hope is here. You're here this morning, and you know you're not right with God. When I count to three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Anyone in this room right now? You know your life isn't right with God. Come on. See that hand. Anyone else? In every service, people have raised their hand. Worship team's going to come this morning. All right. I want us all just to say this prayer this morning. Come on, just repeat this after me. Lord Jesus. Come on, repeat this. Lord Jesus, I admit today that I've been living my own life. But I believe that you are my hope. And you are my only way to have new life. I ask you to forgive me today. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Change me. I want a new start. I want to experience this hope and this forgiveness of sin. Jesus, in your wonderful name. Amen. Now I want to speak to the church. Those that pray.